0: Hi there, we're in an eight-week series called Disciple and we're looking at the letter to the Philippians. If you've got a Bible and can turn to Philippians, that'd be great. We are looking at what it is to be a follower, a disciple means a follower or a learner or even an apprentice of Jesus, which is what Christians are called to be. And we're looking at how that happens, how does that work in our lives, what sorts of things go on as for us to grow, what does it look like and how does it feel to be a disciple? What sorts of processes will help us grow and become more like Jesus? And what we've done is to look at the letter in eight chunks. It's a beautiful letter. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. And as we go through each week, we're saying, actually, this section of Philippians shows how discipleship is about partnership, cooperating with each other in the work of the gospel. That's one of the ways we grow. And this section, we do, the second week, was about hardship. It's about the trials and the sufferings, and often the sad things that happen to us, and how God shapes us through them. And then we said, it's discipleship. It's about lordship. It's about recognizing I am not my own, but I belong to someone else. And what your life looks like as you get drawn more and more into recognizing Jesus as the master and the king over your life. And then we saw discipleship. It's about friendship with Hillary last week, and saying actually relationships with others in which we are known and we know others help us grow and help us become like Jesus and this week we're going to see that discipleship is about worship discipleship is about worship and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 now if you are not a religious person you're not a particularly a Christian here today you don't follow Jesus at the moment you will probably hear the word worship and think of that as a religious activity that's something that religious people Christians and others we do but it may not be something you feel like you do. You think, well, worship's not something that you do if you're a regular, ordinary, secular person in Britain. It's something religious people do. And if that is the way you would think about it, I just want to read you a quote to hopefully make you think from a, a guy who's not at all a believer. He's a, an American novelist called David Foster Wallace. Very insightful Guy, I want to read you a quote. It's quite a long quote, so bear with me, but I think it's a very helpful challenge to us to think about the nature of worship in ordinary life, even for those of us who are not, like he is, not religious. This is what he says. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get... Is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC, I think that's Jesus Christ, or Allah, or Yahweh, or the Wiccan Mother Goddess, or the Four Noble Truths, or some infrangible set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never feel you have enough. I think he's right about that. You worship money, and money will never be enough because you never have enough. You worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Again, I think that's true. If you want what you care most about in life is your beauty, then it eventually will master you and you will never be able to live up to it. You worship power, you'll feel weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will all end up feeling stupid. A fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. What he's saying is, you can't worship nothing. That's not an option. What you do is you either worship a God, a a divine figure, or you worship some human thing of your own making. But if you do, it will eat you alive. It will destroy you. Everybody worships. The choice we have is, what or who are we going to worship? And let's read Paul's answer in Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of God. Discipleship is about worship. For we are, he says, the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So we learn from Jesus and we become more like him as we worship God by the Spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and nothing else. Everybody, everybody worships. As creatures, we're We're not capable of not doing that. That's what that David Foster Wallace quote was saying. We're not able not to worship. We are wired to try and find our meaning and our purpose and our destiny and hope in something outside ourselves. We celebrate, we exult in, we praise, we take ultimate delight in something other than us. And because we all worship, we have to choose very carefully who or what are we going to worship. And Paul says, actually, as a Christian, I become like Jesus as I worship, as I fixate my eyes on him and my attention and my joy and my trust on him, as opposed to the things of this world, and consider them rubbish that I might find him. So worship is not a word that means the bit of the Christian meeting when we sing songs. So if you ever want to see steam coming out of my ears, all you ever need to do is stand nearby and say, well, in this, what we're going to do is we'll start with a bit of worship and then we'll go and do something else. And you'll probably see me sitting there trying to suppress a personal earthquake. Ah! Because worship is not the bit where we sing. I mean, it is the bit where we sing, but it's all of the things that we do to, when we're together. Worshiping God. We worship God as we read and study the Word, as we're doing now. We worship God as we practice the sacraments. We baptize people or we take communion. We worship God when we pray. We worship God when we go on the bus And read a book to the glory of God. We worship God when we sit down with our children and explain to them the way that the world works. And we try and do that through a Christian lens. We are worshipping with our lives. And worship in Scripture is bound up with the place we place our joy and our trust and our hope. Because we are created to look outside of ourselves for meaning and reassurance and purpose and pleasure. And that's part of what makes us human, right? No matter how sophisticated the animals, the chimpanzees do not do that. They don't bow down and worship and honor something beyond themselves. But we do, because we are human. We bear God's image. So we will either worship idols, or we will worship the real God. We will either worship things that we have made, or we will worship the one who has made us. And those are our only options. I came across such a great example of this this week. Um, Have you seen Black Panther? Some of you have seen Black Panther, I know, right? Right? I'm so excited about it. I'm going to see it in a couple of days. I'm really excited about it. Here is Letitia Wright, who stars in that movie. You'll recognize her. And she was interviewed by Eamon Holmes on This Morning just a few days ago. And I just thought this clip was a wonderful summary of, in a way, what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 3. Have a look and see what you think. You're both so young and you've done so, so well. But, Letitia, you thought about packing all of this in. I mean, which is really hard to believe when you look that there is your break. Yeah. You look fantastic on screen there. But actually, there was a stage in your life you thought, you know what? This is not for me. Yeah. um, I was going through a lot, a, a, a very difficult time in my life and I just needed to take a break um, from acting because I really idolised it so I I came off from it and I went on a journey to um, discover God and my relationship with God and I became a Christian and it really just gave me so much love and light in my within myself and so much, um, I felt secure and I felt um, like I didn't need validation from anyone else or from the from from getting apart my happiness wasn't dependent on that it was dependent on my relationship yeah, with because Conor. as an actress you are judged yes uh, you are. all the time yes. by by Criticized. producers yes um, so, by social media yeah. Did that, help that break? have you come back to acting mm. thinking i love my work mm-hmm. i love my job but it doesn't define me completely it, exactly and yeah. I'm, I'm centered in who i am and i'm really grateful i'm not perfect um especially in my, As a Christian, you're not perfect, you know, but you're walking every day and trying to just stay connected. And, and yeah, it's helped me a lot, so I'm really grateful. Okay, do you see what she's saying? She's saying, I used to really idolise acting. That's what I did. That's her confession. She said, I used to, in a sense, another word for that would be, I used to worship it. I used to treat it as an idol. I used to venerate it as if it was a god. And I realised that that wasn't helping and I became a Christian. I met God, and when I became a Christian, I, she said this, she said, I felt secure. I, like, I didn't need validation from anyone else. My happiness wasn't dependent on that. It was dependent on my relationship with God. That's a beautiful statement of, in a way, what Paul is doing in Philippians, which is to say, actually, yes, I used to put all of my hope in this thing. In Paul's case, it was his Jewish pedigree in Letitia Wright's case it was her acting career and her success but either way you can make an idol out of it you can look to that thing for validation security meaning hope and joy and she said I had to stop doing that and effectively said consider it rubbish that I might find Christ and now my happiness comes from him I don't need to get it from this disciples of Jesus are the people who do that We are those who abandon the worship of idols and focus all our worship, our desire and our joy, our confidence in the present and our hope in the future upon the God revealed in Jesus. That's what it is to worship. And specifically in this text, in this passage, to worship by the Spirit of God, verse 2, is bound up with three things. Where our joy is, in verse 1. Where our confidence is, in verses 2 to 7. And where our hope is, verses 8 to 11. That's what Paul kind of maps out for us. Where our joy is, where our confidence is, and where our hope is. Let's look first at our joy. Our worship and our discipleship is a matter of where we find joy. Look at verse 1. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. I love how Paul says, Finally, even though he's only halfway through the letter, right? You've heard preachers do that before. I'm not going to do it today. But he comes back and says the same thing later on in chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. That's what Paul, for him, the second half of the letter, is bound up with joy in God. Finally, brothers, rejoice. And then he talks about what seems like something else and then comes back to it. Rejoice always. And that tells me that this this section of the letter in his mind, is about joy. It's about rejoicing in God. And that is such an important thing to recognize when it comes to worship. You see, to worship somebody is to find joy in them. That's how we do it. That's how you and I worship or praise something or someone. When you delight in a person, you actually honor them, you validate them, you praise, you esteem them. That's what happens when you delight in someone and get happy in their presence. So imagine I'm I'm a pastor. Imagine I, I do a pastoral visit. I go around and see somebody who's perhaps ill at home or in the hospital, and that person says, "Oh, thank you so much, pastor. Thank you for coming." And I say probably something like, "Oh, it's my pleasure. I love. I've so enjoyed being with you today. It's been my pleasure to be here." Not once in my pastoral ministry has anyone at that point ever said to me, "You are so selfish." You just only did this because it made you happy. You're supposed to do this for me. You do it for you. You're making your pleasure, your delight. You say no, no, no. No one thinks like that. Why? Because for me to say it pleases me to be with you is a way of honouring them and praising them. You take pleasure in something. Valentine's Day a few days ago, some of us probably went out for dates with our partners on Valentine's Day. When we did, you said, "I've so enjoyed this evening. It's been so lovely to get this time with you." The other person very unlikely to run, said, you're such a selfish person. It's all about you. I thought it was for me, but it's not. Because we know, don't we, that when we rejoice in someone else, it actually honours them. Worshipping is bound up with rejoicing. And it's the same with God. It's actually the same with other things as well. How would you, if you wanted to honour and esteem a mountain stream on a hot day, you honour and esteem it, not by pouring your own bottle of water into the stream to make to chip in and hopefully help. You honour the stream by drinking from it and going, oh, this is just the best, one. this is so refreshing. That's how you honour a stream. How do you honour a Michelin-starred chef? Not by going, do you know what, I'm going to chip in. I, I think it probably needs a bit of pepper and salt. But actually what you do is you just delight in their cooking. You say, feed me, feed me up, let me enjoy this wonderful feast you've made. That's how you honour That's how you praise, that's how you worship and it's the same with God. As we approach God we are really saying one of our chief ways, in fact in some ways the definition of worshipping God is taking delight in him. It's saying as we would say to the stream or the chef or the lover or the pastoral visit person, I am finding my delight in you. And we're saying that ultimately all of those delights come from you, O oh Lord, and I want to find all of my joy in you, all my streams are found in you, and as we do that we are worshipping him by rejoicing in him. That's wonderful news because it means that God's glory and his honour is the same thing as your highest happiness and joy. This is something John Piper has written many times in his his pastoral ministry. He's an American pastor and theologian. He often says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Because our worship of God and our rejoicing in God are the same thing. And that's why rejoicing in the Lord is so crucial as a disciple. So for me, this comes home so powerfully with the quote of George Mueller. And you may have heard me quote it before, I often do. The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. Until I am, I'm no use to anybody. And if I'm not happy in the Lord, if I don't start the day happy in God, I will spend the rest of the day trying to fill my life, fill my soul with things that might top up my happiness and they will never cut it. And I will spend the whole day chasing my tail, trying to find joy in something that can't satisfy me. And instead what I need to do is feed on the... It's like drink from the fountain, feed on the feast that is found in Jesus Christ. And when I do, I can do all of these other things out of the joy that comes from God and not in order to try and get it. And that's what makes me set aside time in the morning to get happy in God. That's what I do when I pray, when I read scripture and study the word of God. I'm doing that not really to achieve something that God needs from me, but because I need something from him. I need joy in the Lord, and so I come to him in prayer and study to try and draw the joy of heaven into my life and then go and minister from there in the rest of my day, whether I'm as a dad or as an employee or just driving in the car. I need to get happy in God until I am use to anybody. You see, your worship is a question of where your joy is. Your worship is also a question of where your confidence is. All right, we worship. You can tell what you worship by where your joy is, but also you can tell what you worship by where you're confident. What do you trust? Where do you put your hope? This is what Paul says in verses 3 to 4. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he goes on and lists it a really interesting contrast what he's what he's doing is he's using very strong language in this text in verse he's just said watch out for the dogs the evildoers the mutilators of the flesh now that's very strong language and the reason he's saying it is because he's trying to draw a contrast between the people who have confidence in the flesh and therefore see circumcision a physical symbol of being a Jew as being a reason to boast before God so they go around and say you should get circumcised too Because then you've got something to boast about in front of God. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's evil. That's mutilating the flesh. Finding confidence in a thing you do, a work like that, you must not do that. I am one who, instead of glorying in the flesh, I glory in God. I worship by the Spirit. I glory in Christ Jesus. And those are the only two types of people you have. You have the people who boast in, worship, glory in, have confidence in the flesh, and those who worship boast in glory and have confidence in Christ Jesus again it's what Letitia Wright was saying to Eamon Holmes like if I'm I had to realize I had to stop idolizing boasting in, drawing my security and meaning from this because instead I have it from him and so I don't need to do that you can put your confidence in the flesh or you can put your confidence in Christ but you can't do both and there are moments in life, aren't there, which force you to choose which way you're gonna go. Where are you gonna place your confidence? You're gonna trust this or that? It vividly came to home to me when, the only time I've been bungee jumping. And some of you would just would just freak out at the idea of even thinking about bungee jumping. I love it. Adrenaline sports and me go very well. I love it. I love the screaming and the shouting and the rush. Brilliant. And I had there's this weird moment when you're standing on the edge looking down 134 meters into a ravine in New Zealand staring down and thinking, I've got to leave behind my confidence in this platform and in all of this rigging that's all around me and all of the safety nets and I just have to put all of my confidence in this bungee. If I don't do that, I'm never going to jump. So what you do is you stand at the end, and it's weird. Your body has this kind of, no, 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 don't jump into the jaws of death, because it's like your body's got thousands of years of history telling you that jumping into a ravine is a bad idea. And yet in the last few years, someone says, well, oh, just, just attach to a bungee, what's the problem? And so you're trying to make yourself jump, and then you go, on off, for me, I kind of wavered for, I don't know, five, seven seconds or something, and then off I went. And I put all my confidence in the bungee, and had this most extraordinary I rushed for a few seconds just I loved it, it was amazing unfortunately got a colossal wedgie on the way back up but I went, let's not elaborate on that anyway, I got back up to the viewing platform and go and sit at the back but then there's this other guy in the same group of bungee jumping people and he, bless him, is trying to conquer his fear of heights by doing the three biggest bungee jumps in New Zealand and that's what his story and he's done the other two and he's trying to do this one and he shuffles to the front and you can tell he is terrified and it's this excruciatingly awkward few minutes as the guys who are running the bungee jumper trying to encourage him gently to go because he's slowing everybody up and no one else can go. And he keeps nearly doing it and then pulling out and nearly doing it and pulling out. And in the end, he decides, I just do not have enough confidence in this one thing. So I'm gonna lean on the confidence I have in all of these other things. I'm just gonna stay on the platform. And he feels defeated and gutted. It was a horrible in some ways, a horrible ending. It's a sad story about this, this poor guy. But actually both of us in different ways face the challenge. You can place your confidence in this stuff that holds you secure or you can put all of your confidence in that thing. But you cannot do them both. You have a choice to make. Are you going to glory in, boast in, stand on the foundation of this? Or are you going to let go of all of it, consider it rubbish that you might gain the bungee and leap into a different kind of experience that you can't have from up here? And Paul says, I've got more sources of fleshly security than anybody I know. I've got more ticks on my CV than anybody else. Circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite, Benjaminite, Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, a zealot. I persecuted the church. I was so passionate for God. I was blameless. But whatever I had, I had to stand at the edge of the the platform and count as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, for whose sake I have lost everything. You see, somebody flying down a bungee jump at that point, that adrenaline rush, nobody's going, oh man, I, I wish I'd stayed up in the platform. This is amazing. It took a leap, but now that I've made the leap, oh, I'm so glad I did. Paul's done that. He said, whatever gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. And to worship by the Spirit of God for Paul, required renouncing his confidence in the flesh and putting all of his confidence in Jesus. In Paul's case, as I say, that fleshly CV was Judaism. In Letitia Wright's case, it was acting. In my case, it was intellectual credibility. I still face it with my friends and contemporaries. Are you seriously saying you are stupid enough to believe that? you honestly that naive. You believe this is true. In your case, it could be money. Actually, might, you might find it very hard to let go of the confidence you have in money in order to be found in Christ and gain Him. It might be education. It might be your looks, your appearance, your physical form. It might be your career. All of us will probably have something which draws us to place confidence in the flesh somewhere and worship involves saying, I Don't trust those things anymore. I don't have confidence in those things. Whatever was to my profit, even though those things are all good, who wouldn't want to say, I've got enough money, I'm an attractive person, I'm educated. Of course, those things are good. They're gifts from God when they're given to us, but none of them are big enough to carry our confidence. And there comes a moment when we have to say, I consider them rubbish that I may find Christ and be found in Him. I'm going to glory in Christ Jesus and jump on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground, all of it, is sinking sand. We know what we worship by where we place our confidence. So we know what we worship by where we find our joy and where we find our confidence. So if you're not sure what you worship, those two things will tell you. But the third thing that will tell you, which prompts one of the most famous passages in Paul's writings, is where is your hope? Right? Where's your joy? What makes you happy? Where is your confidence? What do you lean on when the chips are down? And where is your hope? Where do, you, where do you daydream? What's the future that you anticipate that gives meaning and shape to your life now? You can tell what you worship by where you put your hope. What is the thing that you are looking forward to more than anything else in the world? What is the future dream that animates your life and that drives your decisions What's that? What's the thing at the end? What's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for you? Is it a job? Depends on our age, you see. It would be different things for different people, but it could be a job. It could be getting married. It could be having children. It could be career success. It could be financial independence. Or grandchildren. Or retirement. And all of those things are good. But none of them are enough. It's like that line I heard, but... I can't remember who said it. Somebody said, when I hear that somebody's just bought their dream house, I find it really sad that their dream is as small as a house. I, that line really hit me because I thought, you know, there's some of that in me. A dream holiday. That's, I'm less about the house, and more would be more about the experience, I suppose, as a person, hence the bungee jumping. But the idea that my dream is small enough to be captured in a holiday somewhere or in a house, for Paul... This is what the hope was. Verses 10 to 11. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. That was the hope that gave shape to his life. Paul wasn't running as a person who thought he'd already got it all. He was running because he said there's a future that's better than this one. This is not all there is. So when people turn to Paul and say, are you seriously saying you believe in God, what with all the suffering? He's saying, I know, it's terrible suffering. I've suffered even more than you, but that's not what I'm living for. I'm living for the day when there won't be any suffering, when I have been raised from the dead and inherit a new creation with Jesus. Worshipping by the Spirit does that. As we worship, we find ourselves caught up in a different, not just a different joy, a different confidence, but a different hope. We find we hope less for a house and more for our Father's house. We find we hope less for children and more for the inheritance that Isaiah says is even better than sons and daughters. It means our future plans are not focused on retirement for two decades, but on resurrection for eternity. And so you know what you worship by where you place your hope. And if you are like me, you may find keeping your dream there on the resurrection from the dead and the future restoration of all things. You may find that hard. You may find your life is like your, your hope is like a weeble. It just sort of you push it towards biblical vision of the future, but then it swings back again and normalizes into a place where you're spending all your time daydreaming on earthly things. And if that's true, I just here's what, what I do is I just spend a lot of time reflecting on the new creation and fueling my hope for that day to come, praying into it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Get a book on it. Read. Uh, or whether some of us will be a theology of heaven. We want to read a biblical study on these things. Some of us, for me, a lot of the time it's Narnia. Or books like that, which just paint a bit, Lord of the Rings, books which paint a picture of the new creation and frame this life as a struggle in light of which we then inherit eternity and make sense of what's gone before. I spend time literally daydreaming about eternity. It's something my wife and I have done together. Fuel your hope. Because you might be hearing this thinking, well, yeah, I want to be a worshipper, but how do I hope in Christ Jesus as opposed to doing all these other things which are so much more visible to me? I think part of the answer is we have to fuel our hope by the way we spend our time, use our thinking, our prayer lives, our songs to draw us into that vision of the future, so that not only our joy and our confidence, but also our hope are found in Christ and the resurrection from the dead. Discipleship is about worship It's about where our joy is and where our confidence is and where our hope is. And we are invited to rejoice in the Lord and to glory in Christ Jesus rather than the flesh and to look forward to the day when we will inherit the resurrection from the dead and there will be no pain, crying, tears, death, none of it. Joy and confidence and hope realized, worshipping Jesus Christ worshipping by the spirit of God may we count all things like Paul did as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord amen let's pray father we thank you so much for this glorious joy that is found in you this magnificent confidence that never lets us down again as Letitia Wright was saying I when I found happiness in him I didn't need it from them and this wonderful hope that we know, we know, we know that what has already happened to the body of Jesus is going to happen to our bodies too. We thank you for the joy and confidence and hope that's found in you. May we be worshippers. Oh God, may may we be disciples that worship in the Spirit of God. That don't put our hope in the flesh, but that increasingly grow in our trust in you, our joy in you, our hope in you. And as we do, may we become more like Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen.